Genesis chapter 9. If you have your scriptures, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me. Our text will be verses 8 through verse 17. I want to welcome every one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church, especially if this is your first time. We are delighted that you are here to visit with us. Please, please don't be a stranger. I had the privilege last night of uh, being here briefly for the ladies' fall, autumn evening. And I just want to thank uh, Brianna Bador for her leadership and her team for a wonderful, wonderful evening, encouraging and uplifting in many ways. Also, I wanted to thank the men who were in the back serving the women. And we thank the Lord for a church that understands the importance of caring for, of serving one another. I did notice a little detail, and I want you to mark the time and the date right now, okay? It's officially on. There were 82 men when we gathered in February at our men's retreat, 82. Last night, there were 102 ladies who gathered, okay? So you understand what this means. Men, there is a men's retreat that is coming up in February, and it is official, Okay, it is official. We are going to strive to just have whoever the Lord draws into our fold to minister to the entire time. Okay, take note of that. But what a wonderful evening. Alina as well, thank you for leading us before the throne in worship this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we go into the word to hear and Lord willing be encouraged and learn this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so delighted with who you are. We thank you for waking us up tonight, the extra hour of sleep that we were able to enjoy. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us here together on your day, a day set apart from other days to focus our time and our attention on you, to unite our voices and lift up our voices in song. I thank you, Lord, for your word that is now open before us and I pray, Lord, for its truth to be made clear this morning. Father, I think right now of individuals who are heavy-hearted, are in the midst of struggles and trials. And I would pray, Lord, my, my prayer is that there would be a word that is spoken this morning that would be fit, that would encourage and comfort and strengthen every one of us. Father, we do lift up. I, I, think of, I think of much of our world, the Middle East. We think of our own country where there is just so much anger and hopelessness. And I, I pray, Lord, that as your children, we would continually and faithfully pray for those who are our enemies, who seek to destroy I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to your example to not only pray, but to love. To pray, Lord, that the blinders would come off, that people would come to know you even in the midst of a world that is filled with such chaos and conflict. Lord, that is our prayer. May your perfect will be accomplished. And now for a few moments with your word open before us, I I personally plead for help 
and clarity and thought and mind and speech. May, may together all of us hear a word from you this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. Bless us now. Speak, and may your children hear. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, just briefly, where have we been? Where have we been traveling through the scriptures? Genesis is a big book. Creation, fall, flood. Recently, we have heard about, learned about unprecedented evil. We consider our world today nothing compared to what it used to be. It says in chapter 6, verse 5, that every thought of his heart was only evil continually. Therefore, God made this statement, perhaps arguably some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. God says this in chapter 6, verse 13, I have determined to make an end to all flesh. Just pause on that. But thankfully... In the midst of that, God told Noah, go make an ark. And he said, go into it, which is exactly, obediently what Noah did. And it says, and the Lord, Yahweh, shut him in. And Noah and his family would be safe. They would be saved. And as we've learned the last several weeks, having enacted his justice on a rebellious world, having protected his own through the worst event in human history, having given advice about the condition of man's heart, as we learned last week, and thus the need for advice about respecting life, all life, having reiterated the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, be fruitful and multiply, God now declares something. The Noahic covenant offers to us a sign a promise that remains to this day to this very day and reminds us that God is good to his word you go to our website you go to the little page on your bulletin and you see this title Genesis and there's a subtitle that says what promises made promises kept this is what we're talking about God is always good to his word. Listen very carefully. Genesis chapter 9, we pick it up in verse 8. The word of the Lord. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with you, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, Every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. There is an essence here of repetition. There's, there's the same thing repeated over and over again, seven times to be precise, in ten verses, in various forms and phrases. I establish my covenant in verse 9. I establish my covenant in verse 11. This is the sign of the covenant in verse 12. It should be a sign of the covenant in verse 13. I will remember my covenant, verse 15. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant, verse 16. This is the sign of the covenant, verse 17. It sounds like a mother talking to their toddler. Have I not told you I'm giving you a promise? Remember, a covenant is what? A covenant formally binds two parties in a relationship on the basis of of personal mutual commitment with consequences in a sense. What? For keeping it and also for breaking it. We think of covenants in our own world. We have a covenant of marriage that we make between husband and wife. We have a church covenant we make between members. Note also as well, when God makes covenants, he does it with, with, with groups of people, many, many people, and he usually does it by coveting with one who represents the entire group. And we've seen this, and we will continue to see this all the way throughout the pages of the Old Testament leading into the New Testament, particularly into the New Covenant. There's several covenants. When you, when you believe and teach and preach covenant theology from the Adamic covenant to the Noahic to Abrahamic to Mosaic to Davidic to the new covenant of grace established through Christ, what is happening through all of these covenants throughout all of history in the pages of Scripture? God is doing something. He is literally opening up, pulling back the curtain, and he is revealing himself to you his character this teaches us about him his personhood his promises his plan each covenant more and more and more and more we learn about him now if you recall this is the second covenant if we go back just a little bit do you recall in the in the in the garden of eden i know that it it seems like months ago now and it was months ago The Adamic covenant can be, in a sense, thought of in two parts. There's the first part, we call it the Edenic or Edenic covenant, a covenant of innocence. And the details include what? There's male and there's female. God has created what? Mankind in his image. There's parts of this covenant that we are to rule over the animal kingdom. There's a directive for mankind to to reproduce, to inhabit the earth. And then there's this part of the covenant that says what? If you eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, which is forbidden, there will be death. Which brings us, in a sense, to the second part of the Adamic covenant, a covenant of grace. As a result of Adam's sin, what happened? There's consequences here, and we live with them all today. 
It says that there'll be enmity between Satan and Eve and her descendants. That there will be pain during childbirth. That there will be marital strife as a result of what? The curse. The soil itself was cursed. The introduction of what? Sweat when we work and thorns and thistles. Survival itself will be a struggle and death for the first time was introduced that is inescapable for all living creatures, living beings. You may ask for a minute, like why, why do we go backwards before we go forward? The first covenant, like all covenant, teaches us about the Lord. Because there's curses and we saw those. And we feel those every single day. They are severe and inescapable. Guess what? There is a wonderful, wonderful promise of grace that was included in this Adamic covenant. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. It's often referred to as the first gospel. In a sense, the first declaration of good news in all of scripture. Speaking to Satan, God says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise. One translation says, fatally bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. What is this? This is God promising that one born of a woman would be what? Wounded in the process of destroying Satan, the seed of the woman who would, and I like the translation in NIV, would crush the head of the serpent. Who is this one? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, as Isaiah chapter 53 says. The New Testament reminds us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, the seed of a woman. First John chapter three and verse eight, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So what? Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of curse, even in the midst of pain and strife, God's gracious provision of salvation always, always, always shines through. And now what happens this morning is that we see it again. We see another covenant, another promise, in a sense, building upon the first. But this time it's not with Adam. It's Noah. It's Noah and his family and all of his descendants. Guess who all of Noah's descendants include? You and me, every one of us, and all the animals and here it is. God states this. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And repeat it. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That is the Noahic covenants. And like most covenants, most covenants, there is a sign that is given in a sense to stamp the approval of, I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove to you. The Abrahamic covenant. Later on we will learn it's the sign of circumcision. 
the Mosaic Covenant, he gives us the law and the promised land. The Davidic Covenant, we see the lineage and the throne as a sign. The New Covenant offers what? Baptism and communion, as we will learn later on. But this time, it's different. There's no other sign like this. It will be the the beautiful, arcing display of colors that shine through the mist. There is something about it. And you know this, regardless of how many times you have seen a rainbow, and we have all seen many of them, what happens? We still stop. We still get our phones out and we take pictures of it. We stare. Wow, that is beautiful. There's a picture that uh, actually uh, Kimber Stole my thunder. That's okay, Kimber. That's good. We, we, this is a rainbow when we were, as a family, traveling out west. We were coming down the side of a mountain into a valley at Yellowstone National Park. And Seth, we pulled over because we're in awe. And Seth, there was an argument. I was just talking this week with the kids, like, who took this? Sarah claims it. Seth, Seth claims that he's the actual photographer here. And at some level, what happens when we see God's handiwork kind of spread across the sky? Officially, scientifically, a rainbow is a multicolored arc made by light striking water droplets. The most familiar type is produced when sunlight strikes raindrops in front of a viewer at a precise angle. The colors on a primary rainbow are always in order of their wavelength from longest to shortest. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. And God said what? I have set my bow in the clouds. I will remember my covenants Three things that we see this morning. What is it that we learn from this most important, from this most wonderful covenant? Number one, we learn that the Noahic covenant is universal. The Noahic covenant is universal. I'm not sure if you picked up on the language or not or the use of pronouns here, but did you know that God says it's my covenant? That God says that this is my bow, and there's something all of us can identify with. There's something, I think it's the fact that we are created in the image of God that seeks at some level to simply display a job that is well done. And understandably so, rightfully so. God has gifted. And I'm not talking about bragging here. I'm not talking about boasting here. I'm just simply talking about acknowledging the fact that something that you have done is done well. Wendy and I were being ushered as guests into a home and and, and large hardwood doors, double doors opened up as we walked into a cathedral and we were like awestruck, like wow! And this older gentleman said in in the most humble almost sheepish way. He say, I, 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 I built this. Like, you built this? Yeah. 
And, 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 and that's okay to say that. You sit at someone's dining room table. You sit in front of their coffee table. And it's uniquely what's designed. And someone says, well, I, I, uh, I had that idea. I, I designed that. That's okay. At some level, what? My neighbor has an antique car and I was just simply staring at it and asking him and, and again, almost pulling it out of him. He said, well, I uh, restored it. You, you, you like took this hunk of rusted metal and you turned it into this and there's something inside of all of us. Like, I, I, this is mine. I did this. Like, this is mine. When we bought our home, it was our first home that actually officially purchased. And it was a nice home. It has like doors and windows. That's really what we were looking for. That's good. It has to have a bathroom. But in all honesty, I was far more excited because in the front lawn, there's a big tree. And I had never owned a tree before. I'm like, this is my tree. And I didn't do anything. I didn't plant it. I didn't water it. It's my tree. Hey, son, back away from my tree a little bit, all right? And what happens? I got a bunch of trees in the backyard. You want to go see that? There's something about it that just says, like, wow, this is. The grand universality of this promise is evident because it encompasses Not only every living being that is good or evil, but every living creature on the planet. And by saying what? It's my covenant. God is claiming that he alone is the sole initiator. Which means he's the only one that can say what? He has full authority, which means what? It does not require any assent on my part or your part. It does not require any action, any ratification, any affirmation from mankind. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even require you acknowledging anything on your part. It's all God. From beginning to end, it's, it's mine and it's for you to enjoy. Do, do you realize this? That two times in scripture, the rainbow is associated specifically with God's glory. One of those verses I had written on the, uh, the bottom of your note sheet, Ezekiel chapter 1, which speaks of the brightness of God's glory. It says this, the word of the Lord, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face. I heard a voice. And I was struck with this. Isn't it interesting today? Isn't it interesting today that the rainbow has been hijacked for it to mean something other than what God intended for it to mean. In a sense, what? Mankind will never ever cease seeking to rob God of his glory. 
And let me say this with full authority, and you can rest assured, every time you see any rainbow, any rainbow flag, any rainbow anywhere, you rest in the promise of the Noahic covenant that this is God's glory on display for you and I to enjoy. Not only does it reveal the brightness of God's glory in other places in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 4, a vision that John has We see the light surrounding the throne of God's glory. It says this, At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. If an emerald hits the light the proper way, you see the reflection. Think about this. When God, in his grace, paints one in the sky, he is claiming this. He's claiming this. Because I love you, I'm going to give you a little, little, tiny glimpse of my glory. And everyone will see it. The Noahic covenant is universal. Secondly, the Noahic covenant is unconditional, which means that there is not a condition by which it is enacted. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus says this about God the Father. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He says this, he makes, and again, notice this phrase, his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now just just pause for a moment. He makes his son. Wait a minute. 864,000 miles in diameter. 109 times larger than the earth. 27 million degrees Fahrenheit at its core. This is mine. I just just put it up there for you. We get excited with what? This is like my new pair of sneakers. Imagine this is is his son. And I'm going to cause my son to shine on the good, on the holy, on the righteous. And I will allow my son, and I will allow the rains to come to fall on the most wicked, on the most vile, on the most evil that could ever exist. It's what we call common grace. So I was writing this message. I was struck primarily with this phrase that is repeated twice, both verse 15 and verse 16. I will remember my covenant. I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant. And we're like, wait a minute. Didn't we discuss this somewhere? God doesn't forget. Whenever we see or hear or read this phrase in reference to the Lord, it's never about recollection. Because God does not forget. God cannot forget. Remember a couple weeks ago, God remembered Noah. Was like, oh my goodness, I got this guy in a boat I forgot about. No! Rather what? It's always in reference to God's moving toward, to God 
acting, which means God is acting to keep his promise to never flood the earth again. Therefore, if God is the one who is remembering, if God is the one who is acting, if God is the one who's moving toward, then what? Then there is no condition. There's nothing that you must say or do or be by which you must what? fulfill in order to enjoy it no it's none of that here's what we have to do just look up just just see it just bathe in the splendor and be in awe of his wonder and what and fall on your knees in worship God is revealing something. God is remembering. God is showing something to you and I. Rainbows remind us that God's wrath is real. He really did enact judgment. But what? It gives way to his peace and his blessing. Which in a sense leads us perfectly into our last point. Number three, the Noahic covenant points us to the ultimate work of the new covenant. This is what, this is when God's wrath was propitiated by his son, his own son on the cross. I've said this many times and I will continue to say it. If it's you standing on the train tracks with my son or my daughter, and there's a train coming, and I see you, and I can only push one of you out of the way to safety. I can only save one of you. You're dead. Train's going to smash you in a minute. Why? Because the design is, is I will always save my own. And that's not what God did. God isn't as selfish as I am. God is stronger than I am. that he pushes you to safety. He saves you and he allows his own to die so you can live. This new covenant, may I remind you, unlike the Noahic covenant, and this is hard to say, it is not universal. We don't believe that, that's heresy. Everybody eventually just kind of makes their way. No, no, no. The new covenant is not universal. Why? For only those who are in Christ, just like only those who are in the ark, will find grace instead of wrath. Think about this. Christ, who we know is the greater Adam, is also the greater Noah, who saves what? His people from the waters of death by his faithful obedience and atoning sacrifice. Acts chapter 16, the story of Paul and Silas in a, in a Philippian jail. And the earth shakes and, and the doors just bust open free. And, and we know the story that there's the Philippian jailer who what? If, if a Roman soldier like that lets his responsibility go, if, if the ones that he's guarding escapes, he's a dead man. 
And so he doesn't want to bother to go through the trial. He doesn't want the humiliation. He just takes out his sword. He's ready to fall on his own sword. I'll commit suicide right now because anyone in their right mind is gone. And, and Paul and Silas are still there. Like they, they are able to go. They're still there. And like, hey, hey, son, what are you doing here? I'm dead man. And they're like, no, that's not how we live life. We, we live differently. And he says, actually, there's a reason that we're here, and it's good news, even in the darkness of a jail cell. You can be saved. And what happens? He says, I want this. And Paul says what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, in the middle of some of the hardest texts in all of Scripture, says what? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which means what? We know that God is the author and the finisher. God is the initiator. God is the giver. But yet there is still a responsibility for you and I to simply open up the gift of his grace that has been offered to us. There still is a responsibility at some level to receive it. It's all, it's all there. It's all been done. As I regularly, and I am blessed regularly to, to share with people the beauty of the good news of the gospel with Christ, the most common response that I, that, that I hear is this. I hear this regularly. I want that. I, I, I want that but I just don't have the faith. I just need more faith. And understandably so, that is a great question. Most, most, most worthy request. I want that, but I, I don't have enough. I need more faith. What do I do? I was thinking about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ again in Mark chapter 9. With the father with the demon-possessed son, and it is a total wreck. It is a total disaster. And he comes to the Lord Jesus to help. And he says what? I, I believe, like, it's there, but help my unbelief. Like, in my heart, it's not. I thought it's interesting that that's where people were at today, but there's a little phrase right before that that caught my attention. We've all probably prayed this at some level. I, I believe, I, I, I do believe. Well, even the demons believe, so we know it's more than that. I believe, help my unbelief. And there's this little phrase that says the father was crying out. He was crying out. It's not this casual, flippant, yeah, I'm gonna need some help on this one, boss. Like, it's not that. It's what? It is a state of desperation. My closest, my loved one is flailing and falling into the fire and he's in torment and he's crying out. He's pleading. If I could visualize it, I would imagine that he's on his knees saying, I, I get it here, I believe here, but please, Lord, help my unbelief. And when we call out with 100% what I call glorious reliance upon the Lord, I have yet to this day, ever, 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 I've never seen God not come through to give person, person, people, the faith that they need in that moment. 
Remember what, in closing, this rainbow is not a sacrament, but it prefigures both the Lord's Supper and baptism, which we have what? Ordinances as signs and seals of the covenant. There's only two ordinances that we regularly remember at our church here as a local church, and they're, they're tokens, visible tokens of God's faithfulness. Whenever we witness right over here or down in the river, what? A baptism in faith. We're seeing a picture of the cleansing the Holy Spirit gives to those who trust in Christ alone. John chapter 3 says, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wife well, as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. A baptism reminds us every single time someone identifies with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they come out, what, soaking wet. Hair's a mess, nose is running, this is not a pretty sight ever. And yet what they are declaring, I am here. We witness a baptism in faith and it reminds us of God's faithfulness to save. And we take communion by faith as we do the third Sunday at Big Woods. We commune with Christ in a way that confirms our reliance on the whole person. John chapter six, Jesus says, I am the bread. 1 Corinthians 11, he took bread. When he gave given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Now, when rightly administered, both of these sacraments, both of these ordinances should fortify our hope in God. That's why whenever we have a baptism, whenever we, we have communion, like let's just pause from everything and focus our attention here. Remember this. And like the rainbow, there is such beauty here. There is such glory and such hope and such promise in these signs. Though you were dead in your sins, as Daniel began our morning with. God loves you and there's hope even in the midst of hopelessness. I told you I've been making my way just personally meditating through the Psalms over the past couple months now. And I read this week in Psalm chapter 89, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. Forever with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens, and you will establish your faithfulness. I thought it was such a delight that the Lord gave me these verses this week. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him but I will not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. We live in a world where there are broken covenants all over the place, but not so with God. He is always, always, always good to his word he has made promises and he will keep promises so wherever you are right now whenever you're under the the sound of my voice and you understand that there's brokenness in our own lives that there's the hope of redemption and forgiveness and eternal life 
We put our faith and trust in the one who made and gave us in his grace the sign that he's good to his word. Father, we love you and we thank you for this reminder. We confess and we admit, I I admit, I, I doubt you. I still doubt and still question in my flesh at times. And Lord, that is so wrong. And so we pray that today we will be, in a sense, reminded and encouraged to hold tight, hold fast to you. You are so good to us. We love you. We thank you for your, your love for us. We ask this now in Christ's name. Amen.